these animals are very intelligent. They're the most intelligent four-legged mammal that walks in North America. They're intelligent rivals out of the great apes. They have the ability to reason and extremely good memories. So that's why they're so good at finding varied food sources, you know, whether it be acorns, beech nuts, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, and what time of year to find them. Episode 320, Mike McIntosh is here to teach you everything you need to know about adventuring with bears. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hi, friends. Welcome again to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in today, and I have been looking forward to this show for a long time, and this is the reason. On our show, quite often, the subject of large wild animals come up, and and usually when that happens, it's about bears. And I think that there are so many misconceptions and kind of unnecessary fears, as well as just a general lack of knowledge about bear behavior and what bears are all really about, how dangerous bears may or may not be. And I think that some people allow that to keep them out of the woods for fear of having to interact with such a a big, powerful mammal that has kind of a misguided reputation. So we brought in the expert today on bears, and I am really excited to talk to Mike McIntosh. Mike is in central Ontario, and he runs an organization called Bear With Us Sanctuary Rehabilitation Center for Bears. And last year, they rehabilitated and released 52 bears back into the wild. This year, they've had 35 bears released so far, and they expect to have a full 41 before the year is over. To date, they have rehabilitated over 500 bears, which is awesome. So Mike is a bear behaviorist, and he is here to fill us in on bears. And I have so many questions, so many so many things that I don't know about bears. And since I spend so much time in the woods with these bears, I want to know more about them. Mike, thank you very much for joining the show today. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon. So Mike, um, boy, where to start? So let's start with where you are, central Ontario. And just before we hit record here, I mentioned that my memory of Ontario was that every hilltop was a forest and every valley was a lake. And does that kind of match where you are? That does. And that, to me, I love the wild and the beautiful. So lots of rock, uh, lakes, as you say, streams, hills and valleys, and curvy roads. Now, I'm, I'm going to speak completely out of ignorance here, but I'm going to guess that the bear population and the human population in your area might be about on equal footing. Well, uh if we take the whole of Ontario, we'll find that the bear population suffers because in southern Ontario, there's not many bears at all. And if they do get down there, unfortunately, they don't live very long because people don't understand how to coexist with them. Right. But where I live, we have one of the highest density of black bears in Ontario. And the population of black bears in Ontario is between eighty and 100,000 animals. Mm, that's a lot of bears. Well, just so the listeners know, I already mentioned this to you. I think a lot of the listeners who have been long-term listeners probably know this. 
I spent the last 20 years with my family in the foothills of the Rockies in the Front Range of Colorado. And right in that area, it's an interface where there's uh, a lot of human presence and a lot of bear presence. So people and bears interact quite a bit, probably more than would be preferred. And so I have, uh, I've had dozens of bear encounters and... It doesn't mean I know what I'm talking about, though, Mike. What it means is I've seen a lot of bears and had to chase them off and and seen some of their behavior, right? But you're the guy that can fill us in. I think the first question I have is people are, are generally scared of bears. And is that a justified concern? Well, first of all, I think uh, we need to know where that fear comes from. And uh, since bears are tend not to be an aggressive or nasty animal by nature, when we watch uh, movies and nature documentaries to make these movies exciting and encourage people to go and pay to watch them, they do things that are, make bears appear in unnatural uh, behaviors in many ways. First of all, often we'll see a bear on a movie or nature documentary snarling or growling. Well, they don't growl. Mm. Uh, they, that's, a, that's a noise that's dubbed in sometimes as a combination of dog growls and lion growls. <laughs> but... But the, the growls you hear in the movies are not bears. And I, I watch these sometimes these nature documentaries, which is quite disappointing when they're nature documentaries, and listen to the sounds and think, this is not very good for the people who really want to know the animal. Well, that's but it's all about it's all about sensationalism and selling. Wow. You know, and I can say that in my dozens of bear encounters, I've never heard a bear growl. They have snorted at me. Usually it's just like breathing hard. You know, it's just that's like right. a... That's all I've ever heard. And if you stand close enough, you might feel that snort. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be that close. <laughs> but wow. you know, bears bears do have quite a uh, varied range of vocabularies. And sometimes a deep guttural moan, which is a sign of a very scared bear, might be misinterpreted as a growl. But if you compare a growl to what a dog might do and that type of moan, they do not sound the same. Well, that's kind of an interesting point straight out of the shoot because we've been shown a bear standing on the hind legs, teeth barred, growling at us like he's getting ready to rip a head off. And what you're saying is that's not normal bear behavior. That's not bear behavior at all, normal or not. Mm. So another example, we watch these uh, wonderful videos of Alaskan brown bears fishing at these salmon streams like Brooks Falls or Katmai. And you see these two bears wrestling and playing and the growls dubbed in to make it look like they're fighting. Wow. And I'm not saying there's never a fight uh, caught on camera there, but you'll notice that most often these playful bears get the growls dubbed in to make it look like they're fighting. And that's why you don't see any fur flying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's a question for you too. You, you mentioned brown bears and a lot of people would just say grizzly bears and then some people say there's no difference. And then some people see a brown black bear and they call it a grizzly. I think we've got some real issues with understanding which species of bear is which. Can you help us out with that? Very true, Kurt. And you know, uh, I guess uh, when people first landed on the East Coast of North America, imaginations had taken a day off because they saw black colored bears and they called them black bears. Mm. <laughs> you, the, the, and these black bears can be brown, black. And if you go to the West, North Coast of British Columbia, they can be white, all the same species. Wow. The only difference is the color. Now, when it comes to brown bears, the, brown bears is the correct name, Ursus arctus, but it's commonly called the grizzly bear, which is a nickname. And in general, 
uh, generality, the grizzly bear is a term used for the inland ground bear. The brown bear you might find in the Rocky Mountains or in Yellowstone Park. Right. They're often called grizzlies. But the big guys on the coast of BC or Alaska or Russia, they're the same species. They're bigger because they have such a protein-rich diet, which is almost all salmon, plus vegetation and nuts. So the animal's the same. The, the name is different. But for the sake of accuracy, they all should be called brown bear. Again, you can't go by the color. They can be black. Uh, they can be very blonde or golden. But the, the species is still brown bear. Mm, okay, so that helps a lot. So brown bears encompass what we would call brown bears, grizzly bears, Kodiaks, right? Those are all brown all, bears. All those, uh, yeah, all those subspecies or nicknames, whatever they want to call them. If you go over to Europe, you know, there's uh, brown bear species over there. But uh, their basic DNA is the same. Interesting. Okay, let's contrast that with the second major species in at least the, the majority of North America, right? Not polar bears is what I'm getting at. We're talking about what they call black bears. Now, I've seen black bears of all kinds of different shapes and sizes and colors. That's true. And, you know, and it tends, if you're looking at color phases, the, if you start at the East Coast, black bears are predominantly black, probably hence the name. But as we move west, they become more often brown. You go out near the prairies, towards the west coast, they're quite commonly brown, even though the animals are the same species. In the area where I live, I've seen a black-colored female have brown-colored cubs and vice versa. So it's just a lot of genetic variation. That's what you're saying. Well, it's just this color variation. You know, just like us, some people have brown hair, black hair, red hair, whatever, or blonde. Uh, that's that's about as simple as it is. It's it's not even that much of a g variation genetically. Right. Well, here in Colorado, um, it's believed that the grizzlies, I, I, I'm going to rewind and say brown, <laughs> but what people would say are grizzlies or brown bears, that they're no longer here. But in Wyoming, they're definitely there, which is the next state to the north. So the reason I bring that up is a lot of people in Colorado see a large male black bear that's brown. And yes. they start saying we've seen a grizzly, and it gets a lot of hype, but that, that may not be the case. So how could someone tell the difference then between a brown bear and a black bear? So a brown bear is a grizzly to mo in most people's minds, just so they understand that. Um, but, and a black bear being brown... That's where it gets a little difficult because the inland grizzly, the bear you'll find in Wyoming maybe, and that, that might wander down into Colorado, they're not always much bigger than a black bear physically. So you get a, uh, a large male black bear that's brown in color and weighs 500 pounds. He might be half as big as an adult female grizzly. Mm. So you can't go by size. Uh, if you want to generalize, most grizzlies on the average would be larger than the average black bear. But, you know, it's not reliable to go by size. So one thing that is different about these bears, brown bears or grizzlies versus the black bear, the grizzly has a large hump on its shoulder. Right. And they have long, elongated claws versus the black bears, which are have a sharp curvature in their claws. The black bear's claws are very good tools when it comes to climbing trees. The grizzly bear's claws are very good tools when it comes to digging out plant roots and ground squirrels or other rodents. Oh, that helps a ton for me. So I could kind of think of it this way, and I'm going to exaggerate a little bit here, but a black bear has claws that are going to be a little bit more like a cat, 
and the brown bear grizzlies are going to have claws. They're going to be elongated dog claws. Yes, uh, much much straighter than a black bear in most cases. And you know, like you said, the uh, black bear's claws will be more of a shape of a cat, although much thicker and stronger. Right. But you know, there's also a myth around that some black bears have retractable claws. They don't. They mm. they have five fingers like we do, the same number of joints. The difference is. Instead of a fingernail on the end of their finger, they have a claw. Interesting. Well, Mike, the first time I encountered a bear up close was shortly after we moved to the foothills of the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. And the neighbors around us, each house had about an acre of land in this neighborhood. And each house had a dog. And the whole neighborhood erupted with dogs just going nuts. We didn't have dogs yet. And so... I wanted to know what was going on, so I wandered out on the, the front deck, and uh, there on our property was a very large black bear, and he was brown-colored, right? But he was a very large black bear, and he was staying by our house because we didn't have dogs to chase him off. You know, we were the quiet spot in the neighborhood, and so we, we got dogs soon after that because we didn't really want our lot to be the one where the bears hung out, but... What a majestic animal. He was massive. I measured his footprints the next morning and looked up online with the Department of Wildlife, and the estimates based on his rear footprint size was 400-plus pounds. So he was a big one. Yes, and you know, uh, a 400-pound black bear in the fall of the year would be quite common because they put on so much weight as they Mm. prepare to hibernate. Right. So when we talk about bear size, it's... uh, to go by pounds can be a little misleading. That same 400-pound bear, after he comes out of the hibernation den, is still going to be quite fat. However, as he wanders around with not much to eat other than grass and leaf buds, that calorie-negative diet is going to cause him to lose a lot of that weight. So that same bear might be 250 pounds when June comes around. And I may have seen the same bear in June because I've seen some really lanky, <laughs> big <laughs> males well, as well. you know what? And as they lose weight, the legs look longer. Right. Well, I have one more story to share, just so you'll have the perspective that I do. Um, because the bears frequented you know, our area, they visited our house a lot, especially if there was anything smelly around, of course. And when we got dogs, they would bark and let me know there was a bear. I felt like it was my responsibility, Mike, to make sure that the bear didn't get comfortable with humans. I felt like that's, you know, that's a good way to make a bear into a dead bear. That's very true. And so what I would do is I would go out in the middle of the night when the bear or when the dogs are barking at the bear and I would yell at the bear and and maybe throw pieces of firewood at it until it ran off. And the whole idea was there, just know you're, you're not safe next to a house. Go back in the woods and, you know, stick to your normal diet. And so that led to many middle-of-the-night encounters. And I've had bears that as soon as they sensed I was around, they ran as fast as they could. I've had other bears, some of the bigger males, that would just stand their ground and not want to leave. I never had a bear ever charge me or do anything threatening. But that said, I had one bear that stood on his hind legs behind a trailer that I had that was six feet tall. And he was head and shoulders above the trailer looking at me. So big bear, very big bear. <laughs> he was about seven, maybe even seven and a half feet tall when he stood on his hind legs. And so I was like, whoa, you know, really got my attention. But and without, you know, without exception, the bears always left. And so and I would like your, your commentary on that. What does that tell you about these black bears? 
Well, that's an, in, in, that's an indication of the true nature of the black bear. They're not looking for trouble with people. That's why so few people actually get hurt or even fear or get killed. And uh, there's, you know, when that happens, if the bear is termed what they call a predatory bear, where it preyed on somebody intentionally, that's an, a bear that is not normal and behaving in an abnormal way. And that bear apparently is about one in a million. So we shouldn't even worry about meeting one of those. The ones you're describing, Kurt, are far more common because they get used to human establishment, human activity, and more critically, they get used to food coming from human establishment and human activity. That's why they're there. They're looking for people's food, not the people. An interesting statistic is that there is not yet a recorded case of a black bear that's used to human activity wandering through a town or a neighborhood or used to seeing people that's actually attacked anybody and severely injured them. Mm, interesting. So why would that be? Well, most likely that bear's decided that people aren't dangerous to it. Right. But how often do we hear that bears are destroyed because they're deemed dangerous because they've been habituated to sure. people? Right. I use that word on purpose because I don't like it. I don't think, and most bear scientists will probably agree that a habituated bear is very, very rare, and the term is used far more commonly than the actual animal is. They become food conditioned, which means that they get used to getting a food food source at a certain place at a certain time of year. That doesn't necessarily mean they've got a bad habit. If the food source is cleaned up, those bears go back to eating berries and whatever they sh- normally would. So habituated is not a very accurate term when we talk about bears that are used to going through towns, getting people's bird feeders and whatever they might find. Mm. It's a conditioning. It's a conditioning. Well, and it's a problem. And where I lived for the 20 years that I was talking about, uh, some of the bears did finally learn how to get into houses. And of course, they would trash the refrigerator. Uh, bears get into cars. And that's those are the bears that some people might label as dangerous. But what you're saying is they're probably not even dangerous. They're just habituated. They're conditioned to finding a food source that's easily obtainable by getting through the door of a house. Usually starts with a screen door because people leave their screen doors closed, but the rest the the main door open. Right. That's like leaving a door wide open for any wild animal. Uh, So it usually starts with a screen door. They get in, they find a refrigerator like you just mentioned. They get in there and they get to know when they go into a house, there's probably a refrigerator. And they're going to find that when they do that, there's a reward every time. Sure. They see color, a very good eyesight. Eyesight is very similar to people, but what's unique to them as a mammal, they have the same color perspective we do. So if a bear gets into a picnic cooter, bright blue or bright orange or whatever color it might be at a campsite, and gets a food reward, in other words, just full of sandwiches and all sorts of tasty treats, and then sees that type of cooter inside a car, Mm. even though it may be empty, he recognizes what it is, because this has happened more than once, and that's sometimes why they bend a car door off or open a car door in a not gentle way. So again, it's conditioning. Those bears, though, are hard to deal with because uh, they've learned that food's easy attainable that way. They're not dangerous to people, but they can sure do a lot of damage. Right. Well, I, I uh, had a bear try to get in our trunk of a car once, and it left a scratch. It wasn't too bad. But one morning I went out, and a car door was left open. And I, I I was wrong, but I thought, I wonder if my kids left that car door open. And I was getting ready to go back in the house and ask them about it. And then I turned around and saw that a car door was open in every one of our cars. <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> and so I looked, and sure enough, 
there are these nice muddy bear prints, you know, on our car seats. And luckily the bears didn't get anything from our cars. There wasn't any food in them. But the, that bear had been conditioned that cars were a source of food. And it knew how to get in the car without tearing anything up. Just open the car door like a human would. It was amazing. Yeah, it is. And you know, you made a good point there. That bear had got a reward by getting into other people's cars more than once. So the bear sees your vehicle. He's just going to check it out. He's already used, figured out how to use the door handle. I've, I, you know, I've seen this myself. I've had people call me this su- uh, past summer. A bear was going up and down the street opening car doors. And those doors that were locked, the door was torn open and, you know, in a very uh, forceful manner. Hmm. The people who didn't have the doors locked, the doors just opened up and nothing was there. Maybe a paw print in a seat. Right. Which is what we got. And probably because our doors were unlocked. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we as people can learn that bears are only attracted by food and that their nose is six to seven times Better than a bloodhound's. Wow. So don't put the food in the trunk of your car and think the bear won't smell it. The trunk of the car, inside the trunk of the car, will probably keep the bear from trying to get in. But putting that food in the back seat of the car where it can look through the window, that's asking for trouble. Right. You know, if if everybody could learn all these little tips of what makes a bear work, we wouldn't have any bear problems. We'd have very few bear problems. Sure. Fall is the best time to start thinking snow, and Bentgate Mountaineering is ready to help you get prepared for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. Brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Never Summer, Jones, and BCA. And you need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags, and they are ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. You can also rent skis, boots, splitboards, beacons, shovels, and probes at Bentgate. What's more, they host free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Stop by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to check out your new gear as well as to get updates on all of their events. Another thing is that, <clears throat> excuse me, bears smell trash. I mean, that's that was our biggest issue. Nobody wants to keep the stinky trash in the house, so they put it in the garage that, you know, might have an air exchange, or they put it in a shed that obviously isn't airtight, and the bears learned that. And we did have a bear that tore into one of our storage sheds and ripped some siding off so they could get to a trash bag that I had failed to, to remove from there. So what should people do so that bears don't don't get into that habit? Well, you, you just mentioned putting garbage bags in sheds. Most often, sheds aren't built to withstand a bear that really wants to get in. If if it's made of wood, you know, it's going to break uh, break the plywood or whatever it is to get in. If it's got siding on, it rip the siding off. So once the bear discovers he can get in that shed and he gets the reward, which is they don't eat garbage, they eat the food that we put in our garbage. Right. So it sometimes becomes difficult a where to put your food garbage until you can get it to a 
you know, uh, a site that uh, recycles it or, or the landfill or whatever. If the bear has a habit of breaking into your outbuilding, like a shed, and this would also apply to uh, apiary beehives or uh, chicken coops where there's chicken feed, they go after the chicken feed more likely than the chickens. Electric fence is a very effective means of controlling them. They don't like shocks. And because they walk on the flat of their feet like we do, plantigrade, they're very susceptible to shock. Mm. They don't wear shoes. So uh, a three-strand electric fence, each wire about six inches apart, will keep the bears away because I'm not aware of one bear that's gone and got a same, the same shock from the same fence twice. Interesting. So, Mike, what you just said sounds like a really good solution to me, but I've had people tell me, and these were not people that really knew, but they thought they did. They said, bears are so big, they hardly even feel it. It just won't work. Well, that's incorrect. Uh, They have a lot of fur. So if the fence touches their back, they might be through the fence before they get the shock. Right. That's why I said the wires need to be about six inches apart. Uh, They tend to touch the fence with their nose first. And uh, because they don't know what it is, right? They sniff it. Right. If if the fence is designed to keep bears out specifically, it's a good idea to have the first wire closest to the ground, which is about six inches off the ground, live. The middle wire is a ground wire, and the next wire up is a live wire again. So if the bear sticks its head between the two wires, he's grounded out on one side and got electrical current on the other. Wow. And uh, that'll stop him. Cool. That's and because, good to know. And because it's six inches apart, and this is a very tiny cub, it's not going to crawl through and uh, you know have the fur uh, nullify the shock. Okay. Uh, let me throw out another remedy that I've heard, and you can tell me if this is a good idea or a bad idea. Putting bleach in your trash bag. Yes, I recommend that. Uh, bleach doesn't smell very good, but more importantly, it masks the smells that are already there. Okay. So Javex, bleach, whatever, you know, it's a great thing to pour in the garbage can because if you have one of those light-duty garbage cans where you had the trash bag in, you take the trash bag out, it goes away with garbage pickup or however you dispose of it. Um, The smell still remains in the garbage can. Sure. Bleach is also a good way to clean and mask the smells on your barbecue. Ah, okay. So bleach is a plus. That's a good one. Bleach is a plus. Uh, Here's another one that people have recommended, and I just found it very inconvenient. But that was take all your food waste, stick it in the freezer until trash day, and then pull the frozen block out and put it out with the trash. What do you think of that one? Well, that's a heck of a good idea, but I don't know too many people have that extra freezer space. (laughs) That was our problem, right? Not quite sure either of how many people want to have their garbage in next to their food. Exactly. However, if you have an extra freezer that's old maybe, what a great way to use it, make use of it. Yeah, good idea. But okay. Got to well, lock it up because the bear will tear the lid off. I'm sure, right. Now, do you think that the bear, let's say that you had an old deep freeze in a shed. So this is a bad scenario already. An old deep freeze in a shed, do you think that the bear is going to smell the frozen food inside of the deep freeze? Quite likely. I know they've had the, I've seen a number of freezers with the lids torn off. Hmm, okay. Well, Let's recap a little bit. We've kind of described what the general problem is, especially when it comes to black bears. We've talked about it mostly around people's houses, right? But our audience wants to know, what about when I'm carrying my food in my backpack and I'm going through the woods? Now I've got a whole new scenario. So put some parameters around that for us. 
I think uh, let's go back to the animal a bit. Uh, these animals are very intelligent. They're the most intelligent four-legged mammal that walks in North America. They're intelligent rivals out of the great apes. Mm, wow. so they have the ability to reason and extremely good memories. So that's why they're so good at finding varied food sources, you know, whether it be acorns, beech nuts, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, and what time of year to find them. So considering the fact that a bear has an extremely good memory and won't forget a food source even many years later, we also have to remember if we're hiking or camping or canoeing in the wilderness, that bear we meet on the trail, we have to ask ourselves what kind of potential uh, bad experiences may this bear have had with people, shot at, injured, wounded, or the opposite, hand-fed or, or you know given lunch, either inadvertently or by people just dropping her backpack and running. Right. So in almost all the cases, you know, you're not going to see the bear. It's going to smell you long before you get there and it'll be gone. And you'll probably, you'll be in the vicinity of hundreds of bears and never know it. The odd time you'll see one and it'll still be running. The odd time one will approach. And it might approach because it thinks you might have something tasty in your backpack. Could be a granola bar or anything. So in this situation, as the bear starts to approach, you want to show assertiveness to let the bear know that it's not welcome to approach you. If it has been fed before, you know, you're not going to be like that other person that fed it. So you put your arms up, you wave them, and you, and you talk to the bear in a very stern voice. Go away, bear. Go away, bear. And, you know, they've done studies with phraseology like that and with some adversive conditioning. And that phrase, bears learn that go away, bear means get out of there. Wow, that's great. However, you know, if the bear doesn't retreat and still wants to check out your backpack, you, you wave your arms and just walk slowly toward it. And none, this isn't if the bear is 10 feet away. He's still, you know, quite a, you know, quite a number of yards away. Almost always he'll back down and veer off. Now, should we specify that this is black bear behavior or is this all bear behavior? In most cases, that type of, uh, will work with most bears, including brown bears or grizzlies. Uh, we have to remember one thing though, that black bears tend to avoid trouble because they have options. They right. can run and hide in the trees or they can climb a tree. Where we find brown bears or grizzlies is, are generally in open areas where there isn't a lot of trees. And a large grizzly is not that good at climbing anyway. So because of the openness that grizzlies tend to, the, the, or the habitat they live in, they quite often face a threat with an attack or wow. offense, offensively. And uh, so if a grizzly bear is approaching you, I would probably be thinking that it's probably not my backpack. I'd be thinking it might be a female bear with maybe some cubs in the bushes. Okay. So again, you know, we're talking about things that are, are not likely to happen. If you, it, even if we read about most grizzly bear attacks, it's when the bear is ambushed or surprised. You know, somebody on a mo mountain bike coming around a corner, either running into it or getting very close very quickly, and the bear just responds that way. I know black bears have attacked people on mountain bikes for the same reason, because they come around the corner and almost run into the bear, or the bear has tiny cubs and she doesn't have time to get away, get her cubs away. And usually the attack results in a bite and a slap, and that's about it, and then the bear retreats. Black bear I'm talking about. Right, black bears. So we yeah. recently had a listener email us, or contact us, I guess. It wasn't an email, but regardless, contact us and say, what about mountain biking in bear country? And I'm glad you're here to answer that question. Um, what do you think about mountain biking in bear country? Is there a way that we can do it safely? 
Well, if if people are mountain biking and kind of observing the scenery and going at a at a rather slow pace, they have time to react. And it also gives the animal they might run into time to react, whether it be a bear, a cougar, whatever. But just think of uh, if you were on a trail and somebody on a mountain bike came barreling down, you know, towards you at a at quite a high rate of speed. Right. And you couldn't couldn't run away. You'd have to fight back, right? <laughs> you try not to get hit. <laughs> I'm with That's you. That's right. So yeah. I don't think the bear's any different. Um, if people are mountain biking and they're uh, making quite a bit of noise, other than just the sound of the bicycle, it gives the animal, whatever it is, a chance to get out of the way before the bicycle approaches. Right. But you have to keep in mind, if, if it's a bear with very small cubs, which you know is May, June, July, they, those cubs can't move very fast. And mama bear is not leaving till her cubs can leave. So it certainly is uh, very advisable to stay very alert. If you think you're in bear country, go slow that day. Okay, so go more slowly and make some human noises. Make some human noises, yeah. Uh, bells aren't necessarily a good idea because bells and horns and whistles, if the bear is in an area where it hears a lot of human activity, those noises come from various sources mm. and it might ignore them. Just like, you know, we get to ignore train whistles, just like animals do as well. Right. So human noises are best. So <laughs> sing a song, say something every now and then. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, people like to mountain bike and maybe have headphones on, listen to some tunes. Yeah. Probably not the best idea if you're in the wilderness where there's wild animals. Because you need to be alert, hear what's going on. So it sounds like mountain biking specifically has the disadvantage of being able to go quickly into an environment where there could be wild animals. That's right. And and the environment they're going into, if it's a, a mountainous area or a forested area, narrow paths, sharp corners, and very short, uh, you know, your, dis- your, vis- your visible, not, not much visibility ahead of you. Yeah. Okay. So in those areas, especially you said May, June, and July, <laughs> but in those areas, make some human noises and maybe slow down a little bit. I think slow down for sure. You know, I just mentioned the three months are probably the best mountain mountain biking times, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. It's the same three months that large mammals have small small young. Right. Yep. That that often happens. It it kind of reminds me of the best ski slopes are the ones that are most avalanche prone. <laughs> right. We need to be exactly. aware and be wise and and understand what we're doing, no matter what the adventure sport is. If I can mention one more thing, though, uh, not about mountain biking, but over 50 black bear attacks are very, very rare. In over 50% of the cases, the black bear attack has been initiated by an off-leash dog. Wow. Okay. So to have your little doggy friend running along beside you is not a good defensive um, action. If you're walking your dog on a leash, the dog's controlled. It can't chase after the animal and harass it, whether it be a bear or whatever. The dog on a leash is a deterrent, but an off-leash dog will often chase an animal. If it's a mother bear with cubs, she'll turn on and chase the dog, and the dog's going to run right back to whoever the dog's friend is, the owner. Oh, good point. And over 50% of people being injured in a black bear attack have had a dog that has done just that. Wow. See, there's another example of just knowing the, the right thing could really make a difference, right? Yeah. A leash, a dog on a leash is extremely important. A great deterrent against any species of bear. A dog off a leash is 
somewhat dangerous. That's just bait. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, dog, my dog, if she sees something she wants to chase, she all of a sudden, I, what I call her doesn't matter. She's yeah. gone. So I would definitely not walk in bear country with her off a leash. Okay. So man, lots of good information so far. Let's talk a little bit about uh, backpacking and camping in bear areas. Uh, we talked about what to do if you see a bear backpacking, but what do you do at night if you know you're in a, in a bear environment? How do you eat? How do you sleep so that you can be safe? What do you do with your food and your food waste? If I could start, start off by saying that you're pretty safe anyway. So what you're trying to prevent is the, the bear that's a little bit bolder than most of them from coming into your campsite and taking all your food. Right. So again, it depends on the bear's experiences with people in that campsite before. And you don't know that, do you? So you just be extra careful. You know, you, you cook, you do what you have to do, you clean up, and you hang the food waste and the food well out of reach of any bear. And when you go into your tent to sleep for the night, you make sure that your clothes that you had worn around the campfire, whether it be roasting marshmallows or whatever, are not in the tent with you. They're hung up in the tree. And your toothpaste, and it smells sweet or like candy, toothpaste, uh, mouthwash, use it and then put it up in the tree as well. So anything smelly shouldn't be in the tent with you. Yes. So keep in mind, chocolate bars, granola bars, and gum wrappers smell stronger than the wrapper does when it's wrapped around the chocolate bar Mm. because it's open. Right. And a bear might quite likely come into the tent checking out those wrappers, and it's going to scare the... Scare the dickens out of the person inside the tent. Sure. Well, Mike, we did a a, a nine-day through hike, my sons and I, and it occurred to me, because we were so deep in the wilderness, I wasn't concerned about a bear attacking us, just because I, I've been around bears a lot, but I got pretty nervous that if a bear got into our food, we could be four days hike out with no food, and that actually was the bigger danger to me. That's a bit of a hardship, isn't it? Yeah. But at least you'd survive that, no problem. Yep, yep, we'd survive it. And I have to to tell kind of a funny joke. You know, we used a bear line and we used it properly. At least I believe we did. And uh, one morning when I went to retrieve our food, it was uh, the bear line was over some high grass. And sure enough, I stepped in a pile of fresh. <laughs> so something <laughs> had been under the, the bear bag, you know, seeing if they could reach it the night before. So it does happen. I left a deposit. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, people want to destroy what they fear, and that could be snakes, sharks, or bears, or wolves. So the, the more we can help get the facts out there about the real animal, not the growling, snarling one you see in the movies. Right. Because that's not a bear. The more tolerant people are going to be, and they're going to be more comfortable to go camping and hiking and canoeing in bear country with no weapon. Because uh, if you're really concerned about a bear, carry a can of pepper spray. It's the most effective deterrent. You can carry, and most likely you'll be disposing of it because it's expired. Expiry dates run out. Bears are omnivores, which means they're like us. They like a lot of things that taste good to people. Right. Black bears are primarily vegetarians, and uh, so you're worrying about a bear wanting to eat you is not really realistic. But um, there is a possibility you could get hurt if you know if there's a dog running loose or or the bear's defending its cubs. Or surprise, but it's it's a self-defense action, not an offensive action. There's a big difference. And it seems that the vast majority of the time, the bear's first choice is going to be to run away. Avoid the trouble, yes. 
you know, it might bluff charge, clack its teeth, uh, snort like you mentioned earlier. The, the, the bear that displays, uh, you know, stomps the ground, bluff charge, clacks its teeth, the noisy bear, in other words, right, is not the dangerous bear. Again, the statistics show that the bear that does all that bluster behavior does not attack people. It just pretends it's going to. Mm. In the case of uh, predatory bear attacks, it's, you know, it's more ambushed. People don't see what's coming. The animal's very quiet, sneaking around, not doing any of the bluster that we just described. Well, and what's funny about that is it's human nature. We just talked quite a bit about bear attacks, but the reality is it's an extraordinarily rare thing to happen. So we tend to focus on the rare thing that gets our attention. But I think the main message here is that it's very unlikely to ever happen anyway. Well, you know, if you're active in in the outdoors, like we're been talking about whether it be on a mountain bike or jogging or mountain climbing, you know, pay attention to your shoes and the tires on your bicycle. All those things are far more likely to cause you an injury. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, I recently did a show, Mike, on how dangerous adventure sports were. And I did the best I could to look up statistics for various adventure sports that people do. And the funny thing is that with, almost without exception, driving to the location where you're going to do your sport was much more dangerous than the sport itself. Absolutely. And I think that it's kind of humorous because what we're talking about with these bear attacks, they're much less frequent than the injuries that you might get from most adventure sports. So, Well, there's a man in Minnesota who studied black bears for about 50 years now. His name is Dr. Lynn Rogers. And he said... uh, in a human populated area, you're one in 16,000 chance of being killed by another human person. Mm, yikes. Um, but your chance of being killed by a bear, about one in a million. One in a million. One in a million. So not very likely. Uh, a man Dave, named Dave Smith wrote a book called Backcountry Bear Basics. It's a good book. But I just want to read you a quote from that book. Okay. Because it, just, it tells you why nature documentaries and movies are the way they are. People can live with real bears. It's the bears roaming the wilds of our human imagination that are impossible to get along with. Mm. So so that that human imagination is pretty powerful. And that's why we have sensationalized movies and documentaries making these animals look fearful because we don't want to watch the real animal just plodding along eating blueberries. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. And you know, Mike, I uh, ran the numbers, and they're kind of rough numbers. They they vary from time to time. But the numbers of being killed on the way to the location where you might encounter the bear just by getting in a car is one out of 10,000. And so... so <laughs> I guess if you're really afraid of being killed, you better stay in the house, right? Yeah, I you know, if you're worried maybe about that's a bear the, attack, Maybe the odds are even higher there, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, houses are not necessarily safe places. And that's kind of the point we need to make, right? Life is full of risk. The The mortality rate for living is one out of one, right? <laughs> You've got yeah, to live absolutely. that one well. You know, I think, too, that people have these uh, phobias, whether it be snakes or spiders, sharks, or fear of big animals with teeth and claws. And they know themselves. I've talked to people who uh, – I was out with a, f- a film uh, videographer a few weeks ago filming bears. He says, I know these animals aren't dangerous, but he says, I can't get by that in my psyche. Mm, Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to reason with somebody when they have that innate fear that they can't explain. But uh, he said after a few years of watching them and filming them and reading about them and learning the truth, 
he's been able to kind of conquer his uh, his phobia. So we need to understand that many people have those phobias. They're going to be afraid of bears whether we say they're dangerous or not. But hopefully there's enough reason they can kind of curtail it. Yeah, yeah, well said. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tech is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other Bearlines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tac.com or retailers near you. You know, we spent a a fair amount of time talking primarily about black bears. I want to go back to brown bears, the grizzlies, the Kodiaks, right? Those are the ones that have the worst reputation. And do you have any different recommendations if you're in brown bear country versus black bear country? Well, I think uh, if you're in brown bear country, because they don't very often attack offensively, attack more likely defensively, be very careful on a mountain bike if you're doing that. And uh, make lots of human noises like we talked about before, not bells or horns, human noises like talking, laughing, you know, those kind of things. Right. And uh, I went to, had the privilege to go to Kamchatka, Russia, a number of years ago, uh, uh, observing a brown bear behavior study. The idea was to find bears that never had a bad experience with people. And if they haven't been threatened by people, they're kind of docile. They're about as docile as they come. They may not run away. They might be curious, but they're not out to eat you. Right. Because that's not, we're not on their food list. Uh, you just have to consider the fact if the animal feels threatened, it may respond with an attack where a black bear will likely respond by getting out of there. So I think uh, just move slower. Keep that dog on a leash for sure. And keep in mind that those animals could run black bear or grizzly bear, you know, 30, 35 mile an hour. So to run them, climb a tree or do all those things is a waste of time because if they want to get you, they will. So. Just be careful. So the main thing is don't put yourself in a situation where you are becoming a threat to the bear. Exactly. You know, and maybe try putting yourself in that in an animal situation if it was on the other end. And how would you react? Sure. If, uh, if I was down in the city and some guy came around a corner, had his fist up, well, I might just punch first just to make sure I didn't get punched, right? So <laughs> you come ripping around a corner on a trail, whether you're jogging or biking, um, the bear might hit first. So give them a chance to get out of there. And even grizzly bears will retreat if they have an opportunity. Sure. So let's say that a grizzly bear decides it is going to attack. You don't have a bear spray, right? It's This is the worst of all scenarios. And again, very, very unlikely and very rare. But what's a recommendation? Well, first of all, could I recommend that if you're doing anything where there's bears, make sure you do have bear spray. Right. It's not expensive. You know, it's, uh, I mean, comparatively. So bear spray is very good to have, even though you may never, ever use it. 
It's very good to have. Um, however, if it's a grizzly bear and it does attack you, it's self-defense, you try and indicate to the bear you're not a harm or threat. That's why they recommend you lay down and curl up in a ball. They call it playing dead. The bear knows you're not dead, but it also realizes that the threat's been removed and moves on. Yeah, you're not fighting at that point. That's right. A uh, little different if it's a black bear because black bears don't tend to attack that way. If a black bear had no bluster, no jaw clapping or stomping or bluff charges, just quietly comes up and grabs you, you need to fight back with everything it got because if you just lay down, just make it easier. But yeah, that bear is that's a predatory black bear, which is very, very rare. Very, very rare. And that's what I just wanted to make sure everyone heard there. That's not likely. Um, you're, you're, boy, hundreds of times more likely to die in the car on the way to the woods. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I think we have to remember too, these animals are intelligent. So they have complex brains like the ape family and like humans. And, you know, I don't think anybody would call a person who walks into a school with a submachine gun and blows away a bunch of students normal. No, no. So it happens in all species. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the calculation for the human species in one is one in 16,000. So um, we're more dangerous than our bear friends are to us. We're more dangerous to each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the key takeaway. Mike, let's spend a little bit of time talking about your organization because I really like what you do. And I know that others out there want to, they're going to want to know more about it. So again, the name of the organization is Bear With Us. It's bearwithus.org if you want to look online. And the full name is Bear With Us Sanctuary and Rehabilitation Center for Bears. What's so cool about what you do is that you're helping the bears. So tell us about that. Well, you know, uh, bear cubs get orphaned because their mothers get shot. Uh, right. And quite often, you know, they're hunting-related incidents. Most often they are. But one common denominator is that when bears are injured or orphaned, it's almost always human activity, whether it be somebody shooting at them because they're afraid of them, or because the bear tried to break in their house to get some food it managed to get, you know, somebody else's house. Or, you know, you know sometimes they just get on the highway and injured that way. So it's human activity no matter what. So the mission is to promote the understanding and respect for the bear family. As I mentioned before, the bear is a species near the top of the evolutionary scale. But because of where they are, they're also in direct niche competition with the human race. They like what we eat. We like blueberries, raspberries, strawberries. So do they. Right. So they they can live well with people. Uh, if we want to cut down some of the nasty damage that people do to bears, I think a response will also help also to help people understand them, so there's less injuries and less uh, less mortality for no reason at all. Sure. So your organization primarily is working with the young bears then that have been orphaned. That's where the numbers come from. Yes, you know, but uh, I have a bear here right now who's a a young female hit by a car, had a broken back, and uh, she couldn't move her back legs. And the reason we still have her is because she's progressing slowly, and she now she can now stand up. So, uh, you know, there's there's a bear that's hit by a car. Um, we've had them come in with arrows in them or bullet wounds that are, you know, serious but not didn't kill them. Right. And, but primarily it's young cubs because the mothers get killed, and if the cubs are orphaned in the first year of their life, the chance of survival is very low. Well, and you've worked with a lot of bears, over 500 in the, the history of your organization there. Um, do any of them stand out in your mind with just a particularly interesting story? Well, you know, I have lots of interesting stories, but, you know, as the years go by, I might forget them. <laughs> right. But we're right now, she's this year's cub, so 
We call them cubs of the year, which means they're born in January. Most bears are. Might be the first week of February, but that's about it. Uh, so she was born this past January. That makes her now about nine and a half months old. And uh, on a busy cottage road, hills and valleys and lakes, like we talked about earlier, she was hit by a car. Mm. The, mother, the mother and the other cub managed to cross the road okay. Uh, this man saw what happened. He called the police. And two police officers went to the scene and saw the cub lying in a ditch. They called me, and I went down and met them there. And with a broken humerus bone, which is between the elbow and the shoulder, she somehow managed to climb a tree. Wow. Quite high. But the poor little thing uh, couldn't take it, and she started to pass out. We saw her. She was going to fall out. So the officers went to the trunk of the car, got two police vests. They netted them together, and the three of us stood at the bottom of the tree, myself, the two police officers, and we caught her as she fell into the police vest, wrapped her up, gave her a sedative to uh, you know, to make her go to sleep. I put her in her front seat of my truck and drove her to a vet. Mm. So that little bear was taken to a, an animal hospital near Toronto, and they put an external fixator on her, which means that they put screws into her bones and held everything in line up or line uh, with the, some rods and poles on the outside of her skin. And she's now is fully recovered. All the pins and the screws are taken out of her bones. The fixator is off, and you would never know she had a broken humerus bone. She'll be released back to the wild next year when she's a year and a half of age, which is the same time that the mother bear and her cubs park company in the wild naturally. Nice. That's just one example. That's neat. That's a, that's a cool story. So that's kind of uh, what your organization does. Now, what do you do so that the bears don't start to depend on you for their sustenance? Well, that's a very good question. We talked about conditioning before. So uh, bear thus is not open to the public. The bears only see one, maybe two people that may feed them. You can kind of equate that in the natural bear world. The bear cubs would see their mother and are naturally afraid of any other thing they see that they don't understand, any other bear included. Right. Bears may become used to the routine here, feeding times and uh, examples of that. But if I have somebody else with me, say somebody from the Ministry of Natural Resources, which are which is our government agency, they run and hide. So when they're released again, they might have been used, conditioned to the security of the enclosures and the food that went in there, be taken away from that, and everything is strange again. They don't have that security of the enclosure, and they become very, very timid and easily spooked. That's how that helps them live a long time. So in general... Do these cubs, once they're a year and a half old and they're released, in general, do they do pretty well? Or is it a real challenge for them to acclimate to being in the woods again? Well, there's been some very good studies done, including bears from Bear With Us. And uh, this, this study was uh, encompassed. Uh, bears have been rehabbed in various areas of Canada and the United States. And their rate of survival is at least as good as a wild bear that never had uh, contact with people for rehabilitation purposes. Wow. That is very encouraging. You wouldn't anticipate that. I'll give you a quick example. I released a bear, a young male. You won't know the area, but I'll say in northeastern Ontario in June of 2012. That uh, bear was shot this fall by a hunter. So he's now a six-and-a-half-year-old bear and released five years ago, and he traveled over 500 miles. This one was on. Covered some that's ground. 720 kilometers, yes. Mm. And that's as the crow flies, so we know he didn't go a straight line. Oh, sure, sure. So there's a bear that lived five years until he got careless and, you know, got shot. But uh, there's lots of them out there, I'm sure, that live longer than that. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's cool. So, Mike, if people would like to get involved on some level, how can they help? Well, they can email me, info at barathus.org, if they have a question. I'll do my best to answer it. Um, we don't get government funding. We go on donations. So, And as I mentioned before, we can't have people coming in here as volunteers because that would condition the bear to human activity, which we don't want to have happen. Right. But, uh, it, you know, primarily we'd like them to, like people in general, if they're going into the wilderness, enjoying the outdoors, don't worry about the bears. It's not really much to need to worry about. Just a few simple tips. Don't let them get food. That's about as simple as it is. And if you know you're in bear country, go ahead and have the bear spray. Why not? Uh, yes, absolutely. And maybe don't wear headphones if you're on a mountain bike and go at a little slower pace. Right. Well, good advice, Mike. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Adventure Sports Podcast and educate us a little bit. It's nice to know how rare um, negative bear encounters actually are. They're generally negative for the bear, not the human. And we need to keep that in mind as well. So thank you for the education and for sharing with us what we can do to be safe and to make it a safer place for the bears. Thank you, Kurt. Appreciate uh, being on the show. Oh, you bet. And for all of our listeners out there, don't let the bears hold you back. Get that bear spray, use a little bit of wisdom, and get out there and have some fun. Absolutely. On Thursday's episode, Will Collins will be here to talk about his 2,300-mile canoe trip down the Mississippi. Until then, get out and have some fun, and don't forget to swing by our site to get your bear line.